everyone and welcome to the podcast. I hope everyone is having a great Friday and staying healthy during these challenging times. Joining me today, I have Rob Bush. He is the founder of The Drawing Department, an amazing firm here in Cincinnati, Ohio. The Drawing Department focuses on residential and commercial architecture. And without a doubt, when you think about a firm who has had a huge impact on Cincinnati architecture, The Drawing Department is one of the first firms that comes to mind. Rob, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Roger. It's uh, I'm excited. I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited to have an opportunity to talk about what I'm passionate about, and um, hopefully that's something that uh, your listeners will be interested in, and, and there'll be some takeaways. 100%. I'm super excited, too, to hear your story and advice, and just from the small amount we have talked in the past, you have so many interesting things to say that I really had me thinking, and I appreciate that so much. Well, uh, I mean, it's been it's been good for me too. I think that um, anytime I have a chance to talk about this stuff, it helps me kind of distill my thoughts a little bit and um, and kind of remember the things that are important. It's you know, talking out loud about these things. There's not something you get to do all that often. Um, it's something that becomes internalized over a long period of time, and talking about it really is a kind of a refreshing opportunity from my standpoint. Definitely. And uh, everybody, I feel like, gets so much out of it, and we all learn so much. So with that, let's get into it. So before we get into the history of you, how you founded the drawing department, let's let's start with you and your background and how you got interested in architecture. Did you always know you wanted to be an architect, or did you have a different original plan? Um, <laughs> it's absolutely, I had no idea that I wanted to be an architect. Um, I think I'm always envious of those people that I listen to or talk to that are like, I always knew I wanted to be an architect. I mean, if I'm just being perfectly honest, being as transparent as possible, I didn't really even know what an architect was. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a little bit older. So, you know, when I was in high school, guidance counselors uh, helped you get through high school and there just wasn't a whole lot of guidance beyond that. Um, both of my parents who are super smart people just really didn't have college opportunities um, like I did. And they were, they were able to afford me an opportunity that they did not have. And um, through a series of really fortunate events, um, I ended up selecting architecture and, or maybe it selected me. I'm not sure, but man, it, you know, after struggling through a year of school, man, it has just been everything. And then some, I mean, I feel like I am perfectly matched for, the career I picked, you know, there's like the old adage that like, if, if you love what you do, um, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, I've definitely worked a lot of days in my life. I mean, I, it's hard, but man, I am perfectly suited for this. I, I love it. Definitely. And I would agree with that. And just by looking at all you've done and starting a firm, I mean, I think it's worked out very well for you. Architecture made a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. That's how I feel. Definitely. So you ended up at the University of Cincinnati, right? Was that for both undergrad and grad school, or did you go somewhere else for graduate school? Um, so um, when I graduated in 1991 from the University of Cincinnati, I had a bachelor degree, which was a six-year degree, um, which was an accredited degree. So I was able to take the uh, architecture exam right after that. Um, I did have some professors who were encouraging me to consider graduate school. Um, but it was not a choice I made. Six years was a long time for long an undergraduate time. degree. Yeah. So, so it's, it was six years at, at that time. It was six years continuous. 
um, with eight co-op sessions. So um, I feel like I needed what I needed to get out of school. I had a I had a first job lined up, um, which was at a you know a, a great place to go and to grow and to learn. So um, no, six years at at UC was uh, was good. Definitely. I'm, I assume, so you had, you said six internship programs, so I assume you kind of jumped around. I mean, that's super cool to have that opportunity to jump around from firm to firm, and I bet you tried a couple different types of architecture. And did you always kind of know you wanted to be in residential and commercial when you got into school, or how did you kind of uh, end up in those two genres of architecture? Yeah, so um, actually there were, you know, there were eight co-op sessions, so... Um, we were, we were in a quarter system then. So the sessions were shorter, but, um, yeah, so I worked at several places uh, around the country doing different types of projects. I think, I don't think the commercial thing really grabbed me that much, to be honest with you. I think I was really much more interested in residential architecture. Um, there was just something about the residential scale that is just allows you to investigate detail and material in, in a way that at the time, I felt commercial would not let me do. Um, and a whole different set of uh, code parameters. And uh, just my exposure was, I was in love with residential architecture. And the first job I took out of college was in a firm that did probably 95% residential architecture. So uh, the story of how we ended up doing so much commercial work is um, an interesting story in itself that maybe we can come back around to. But yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't really, I mean, I, I did have good exposure at different, uh, co-ops and that was one advantage of having eight tries. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think I had a pretty good idea of sort of the, the sort of the scale and the materiality and the construction methods after those co-ops that led me to one to keep practicing residential architecture. That that makes a lot of sense. And uh, most of the residential architects I seem to talk to, they kind of come from that similar mindset of, I love to be able to work on it and investigate things at a small scale and, and, and play with details. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. And I think we can see this like in practices now, like there are definitely are firms that I'm sure everyone can can think of that are like really great residential architects. And as they yeah, as they uh, sort of grow and as they as they morph and they sort of become, I guess I would say maybe famous even as residential architects, they'll they'll earn other opportunities. Then you start seeing a library come out of a firm, then an office building, et cetera. So That's you know, those things point. are those things are interesting to see how those firms turn. But also, I think it's it's always sort of interesting because I usually find that firms that shift from one expertise to another oftentimes don't seem to bring the design expertise with them. <laughs> like there's still a great sensibility about scale, um, uh, maybe detail and material, but somehow it is, it's really difficult if you spend, if you're used to spending, you know, six hours trying to figure out a, a beautiful door handle and suddenly you're doing a public library, how, how to, how to translate all that. That's a great, super, point. super challenging. Yeah, definitely. Well, we, we need to talk more about that later. So you you graduate from uh, the University of Cincinnati, and then you get in, you start working. I mean, what were kind of the, the steps that ended up with you starting the drawing department? 
Um, I think that I knew um, really early on that I wanted to eventually someday have my own practice. Um, I didn't have really a whole lot to model that on, though. Um, you know, uh, I worked for a small firm, um, a, a really a, just a, a tremendous you know uh, firm here in Cincinnati um, when I graduated, and it was a great opportunity to learn. I just felt like in order to do my work well as a, what I thought would probably end up being a sole practice at some point, that I just didn't have the technical acumen to, to really, you know, to do, to, to practice architecture, I guess. There's no shortage of ideas. There's no shortage of creativity. I, I've always felt that those are the easy parts of our job. Mm -hmm. um, but having the technical ability to execute those things with excellence and with rigor is something that just takes some time. So um, yeah, I'm super uh, envious of those people that come right out of school and start their own firms. I just don't, I don't know how they do it. Like it's, it's amazing to me. And, and yet I see it done and I see the work and it's good, but I didn't have that ability coming out of school. I, I had to train. I had to have, I had to work under somebody who knew more than me and, and man, did I, and not only did I work for someone who knew a lot more than me, I worked with a great set of people there who, who invested in me and, you know, they poured themselves into me and I had a million questions. I was the irritating guy in the office probably. You know, I was the guy sitting in the back with a million questions about how to frame this and, you know, how does the roof meet the wall? And so, but, you know, I, I had 15 years of that. Uh, so I, I, I am probably a little bit of a different story in the sense that I worked somewhere else for 15 years before I ever started my own practice. So I was in my mid-30s and had four kids, married, and it was a huge step. It was scary. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, there, and whenever I talk to people who are, have started a firm, they're like, I, you know, I knew how to do the construction drawings. I knew how to design. But then when I took on a business role and, and finding clients and, and things of that nature and managing books, like I, I never expected it that to be the really challenging part of the you know, starting a practice. Yeah, I think that was, um, I think that was a huge challenge. I mean, I, I think that when I think about having a practice, I think, I think there was a sense in me, probably when I was in college, I probably was thinking, you know, I could have my own practice. And when I do that, that means I get to keep all the money and I get to set my own hours and I can kind of just practice um, as I see fit. And I think I found that, or I, you know, I certainly before I ever started the firm, I, I kind of knew this, but boy, did it ever prove true that man, it, it is, it's a grind. I mean, I, if, if ever, I mean, there was a notion that I'll have my own firm so I can set my own hours. Um, boy, that is, that was not true. I mean, I, I suppose it, it is technically true. I can set my own hours, but man, I've worked a lot of long hours, you know, back to the, back to the all nighters kind of mentality. Um, and that's, that's what it took for us to succeed. I, I've always felt that wherever I lacked in ability, I was able to overcome through just hard work. Um, and I think there, I think that's probably true for a lot of people. Um, there are some who are just incredibly gifted and I'm gifted. I, I feel like, I feel like I've been really blessed and learned a lot, but 
Definitely. I've also just worked really hard and there's just something to be said for putting in the time and, and just, uh, outworking people. And that's just a mentality that sort of was built into me starting probably in high school, uh, being a 140 pound, you know, person on the football team. <laughs> well, I was on the team. I, sh- I shouldn't say I played, uh, but, um, you know, there's just, there was a lot to overcome. So I've just have had a spirit of perseverance sort of just built into me over time. And, um, that, that goes a long way. That's for sure. I love that. And it certainly shows all you've accomplished. I mean, it's, it's very impressive as, as, as somebody wants to start a firm one day themselves, I definitely look up to you and, and as a, as a role model in that sense and all you've done. Very incredible. If you don't mind, I'd like to jump back to something you said earlier about, you know, uh, if you're in school and you're on your internships and about asking questions, because I hear so often from uh, firms that host co-op students or internships or like, you know, I get an internship students and they never ask me any questions or never ask anything. I think it is so wise to say, you know, ask questions like when you're in school, when you're doing internships it is it's the time for you to learn it's and everybody understands that it seems so i mean asking questions if you're unsure of something now if you can simply google it you know do that but um you you often you know everybody wants to help you and i think that's that's a great point to just bring up uh yes i mean i, I have a, maybe a couple pieces of advice on that we have co-ops um here at our at our office or interns here at our office and I think my, and this is not an edict and and it it might sound judgmental and I I don't mean it to sound judgmental, but you should consider like unplugging when you're in the office. Like if you have your headphones in the whole day and you're just missing all kinds of potential learning opportunities, how does someone talk on the phone? How do they deal with difficulty and struggle? How do they deal with conflict? You know, these are things that you don't even have to ask questions. You just got to be present. So man, if you can... You know, hey, it might be a drag, you know, for nine hours a day, no music. I'm not suggesting that, but can you maybe unplug for four hours a day and just soak it in? Let it be part of, you know, just being present. Being present just goes such a long way. So that'd be my advice. Um, And that's what I really encourage people to do here. That's great advice. I'm definitely guilty of that myself. And I remember one time I forgot my headphones from work and I was like, shoot, I was like, I'm going to be late if I drive back and get them. And I remember that day I learned more probably than the, the co-op combined the couple weeks uh, prior that I was there. So I, I that's awesome advice. So very cool. Yeah, I think uh, this would just be an observation as well. But um, I also did some adjunct um, teaching at UC, you know, right about the same time drawing department was starting. Um, and it was, you know, part of my transition. And assuredly, I learned more than anyone that I was uh, working with. But um, I think one thing that is, has become apparent is that I, th- I feel, and this is, this is not just, Hey, Hey students, listen to me. This is just life in general, but there is such a fear of failure and, you know, failure looks like different things for people, but like just being vulnerable enough to have needs. Like, I don't know how to do this. Like, that's okay. Like that's, that's just part of learning. And uh, I think we're afraid to ask anymore. We're afraid not to have all the answers. You know, I think people would rather spend 45 minutes Googling something um, and maybe get the right answer instead of just asking and having a conversation about it. So, 
you know, hey, there's a time and place for everything. Um, I don't mean it to sound like a, um, like this is the only way to succeed. I, j- I just feel like talking things out can go such a long way. It's so easy, too. I mean, it's just readily yeah. available. Yeah. Whenever you have a conversation with somebody, there's always things that can you can learn from somebody else. And, and that's that's what's so great about, you know, podcasting or just talking to people is everybody has something unique they have to offer the world. And, you know, by talking, that is the best way to exchange that information. So that's so true. That's for sure. And and I, I will say, like, you know, as, as somebody who um, is trying to guide this firm forward, who has co-ops in here, I mean, it would be foolish for me not to think I'm learning something from them as well. Um, it might be something about how technology works. Um, it might be how to do a rendering. It might be someone's graphic style, but you know, at least at our firm, we're really open to trying to figure out new and better ways of doing things. Definitely not set in our ways. So you have to come in with the attitude of what can I learn, but also what can I give? And, um, if it's a good firm you're working with, they're going to be interested in learning from you as well. That's a great point. And not to suggest other architects listening to take advantage of your internship student but if they're a student they probably have free uh, license opportunities for all the new softwares coming out whether it be Enscape or Lumion so maybe that is an opportunity for you as an employer to potentially see the newest like VR technology and what it, what is out there but not to take yeah, advantage I, but yeah well no no I, I yes not to take advantage but there's just Everybody, I think the way you phrased it actually is is really smart. It just to to begin to suggest that everyone brings something to the table. Good firms will recognize that, and drawing department, if anyone, has has been the beneficiary of that. I mean, I just work with people who are super smart, super talented. Um, I kind of believe in hiring people who are better than yourself, and um, I, I hopefully I'm making a good contribution as well, but. Man, I just work with such talented people, and it's it's just such a blessing to have like just really your friends. You're working with your friends who happen to be really good at what they do. I mean, you can ask for anything better than that. That's just so it makes working such a pleasure. That's fantastic. So that's a that's a great opportunity for us to jump back into your firm. And so you so you leave your your current company and you start your own company. I mean, how do you go about in the, the early stages? Because you have a pretty large office now, I think, what, 13 people? Yeah, we're usually running about 15 people. 15. Um, yeah, well, I count the co-op uh, and I count our administrative people because they're just super important. Um, so just because they're not an architect, uh, I don't want to devalue uh, mm-hmm. their role in our office. So yeah, 13 to 15 people. Um, yeah, when we started, I certainly had no aspirations for, for that. Um, and really I, I, I did start the firm. Um, but, um, I might be taking a little too much credit there. I mean, I, I was started working out of the basement mm-hmm. and, um, eventually six months in a good friend of mine, um, who was also a partner at business at drawing department now, um, Ron Novak, uh, joined the firm and has been a uh, inspirational and generational, uh, you know, uh, influence here at the, at the firm. Um, so really, um, even though the firm started six months before he started working here, he really is a sort of a co-founding member. Um, and also we were working at the time with a, 
a person named Carl Wallach, who was a professor at the University of Cincinnati at the time, um, or a teacher or instructor at the University of Cincinnati. Um, and so he sort of worked part-time, but it was also really influential in some of the early decision-making at drawing department. Um, so I should be careful not to take too much credit. Definitely. It's always a group effort. So you're, you're out there, you've started drawing department and I assume you're getting more and more clients and, and that just over time, you're just gathering more and more personnel as a result. Is that kind of, I assume the general flow of how that goes? I think I think that's generally true. I mean, I think, you know, number of people equals more work. Uh, there is some ratio at work there for sure, just to be a, um, a successful business. Um, I think we've taken a different approach, though. Um, we don't we've never hired or fired based on work uh, quantity. Um, instead, we're just looking for the best matches for either building into the current culture that we have or skill set and we feel like the work will come so i would rather just hire the best people uh, i'm putting finger quotes around the best um, mm -hmm. because that can mean a lot of different things but um we're trying to hire the right people and um there's been times when we definitely have been understaffed for the amount of work we have and um in there's been fewer times, but there's been some times when we've been a little overstaffed for the projects we've had, but we've always held on to people. We've not let anyone go. So um, some of the people that have worked here have worked here for 12 years plus. So um, there's not been a lot of changing of the guard. People get here, I think they feel, uh, I hope that they feel like they're part of a team, part of a family. And so we're pretty tight knit group. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, Back to the original point, I think that, yes, you have to staff accordingly, but I think people can make the mistake. And I, I see this at bigger firms all the time where, um, hey, we're super busy. We won a couple big commissions. Let's hire a bunch of people in. Hey, we lost a job or the economy is not as good. We let go of a whole bunch of people. And I just – I have a hard time – and again, it's going to sound judgmental. I don't mean it to be judgmental. When I say I don't understand, I literally mean I just don't understand how that culture works. I mean how invested can you feel about working in a place where you don't know how you're valued or how long you might have a job there or you know, am I, am I being – am I a hired gun for a, a specific project? So we – and I'm sure we're not perfect at it, but we've tried to take an attitude of hiring to build the best team we possibly can. And the jobs will either come or um, or we'll find the right skill set for the job. That's a great point. And I think it works both ways, too. I mean, if you're somebody out there looking for a job, you know, don't be afraid to explore what that company culture looks like. Because I've definitely worked for a, a company that is is kind of has that mindset of like when we get big, when we have a lot of jobs, we'll get big. When we don't, you know, we'll let people go. And they actually just hired most people under contract. And the interesting thing was there was a lot of people at that firm at the time that were they were all about that. They're like, hey, I don't mind jumping around. So I I guess mm -hmm. there are people that are interested in in kind of that. You know, I don't want to be at one place too long. I like to go around. Mm -hmm. and so maybe that's when that kind of large. Um, that that style becomes popular for you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I'm. That's why I'm trying to be careful not to cast aspersions because um, just because we do it one way doesn't mean it's the right way. Um, for me personally, though, um, 
we've always wanted to hire people who want to be here. It's not about a paycheck. It's not about um, how, how good our benefits are versus company B. These are all very real things. So I don't mean to be dismissive of them. Those things have to be considered when you're trying to either get a first job or when you're thinking about starting a firm. Super important stuff. But man, I, I really want to work with the people who who are passionate about what they do first. And they care about the culture they're working in. They care about the type of projects they're working on. They want to do more than just bring home a paycheck. Um, so anyway, that yeah. for, for me, for me personally, having people invested in that is is really important. I think that's I think that's great. I love to hear that too. I'm I'm all about that kind of culture. So very cool. So you you start your firm. Can you talk about some of the initial challenges you you faced when you're starting your practice? I'm just kind of curious to know whether it be gaining clients when you maybe don't have a name out there yet. Now, you, you probably did have, you know, a, a portfolio to share with people, I assume, that type of thing. Well, I mean, that was, that, I mean, that, that is the challenge. I mean, there's, there's two challenges maybe built into it. There's sort of the, yes, we need clients. <laughs> clients are, are good to have. There's some ethical questions too. Like, no, we didn't have a portfolio. Not really. And we hadn't done anything. So, how do you convince people that, you know, that you can do what, what you want to do or that you're good at what you do? You know, I didn't have the, uh, the uncle who was just dying to do uh, a new house somewhere at all. So um, I've always been a, a really a big believer that you have, to, you have to earn your way into getting good projects. Um, I mean, no one's out there just handing them out. Um, right. or, or maybe it's rare. It's rare that they're just being handed out. So you have to earn them. Um, you know, I worked at a previous place that had a, a tremendous portfolio of projects, um, beautiful work. And, and, you know, I could at least point to that and say, Hey, I was part of this firm that did great work, but at the same time, you have to be clear that it's not your work. They, they're the ones who own that work. Um, so you know, it's a fine line, right? Even if you were the project architect or if you did most of the, I don't know, most of the client contact, it still belongs to the other firm. So you have to be really respectful of that. It's a fine line to walk. You want to make sure you're treating people fairly in the right way. At the same time, you're desperate to show somebody that you have the chops to do the work. And um, I, I think that was one of the biggest challenges for for me is wanting to make sure you're treating people the right way. At the same time, you're trying to secure some work. Um, so it, for us, it was definitely a very, like, you know, you're basically doing someone's basement remodel. And then when you do that really well, then you earn a kitchen. And after you do a kitchen, you get to do, uh, I don't know, a whole house remodel and then a new house, et cetera. It, it has been the quintessential picture of baby steps and just kind of earning each piece as you go. Um you know, we didn't do a, a new house until maybe uh, maybe four years into the practice. We wow, did our really? first new house. Um, so, um, and then and you know now our firm, you know, has a lot of. Uh, well, I guess in the world of architecture, still pretty small scale, but for us, big scale projects, some of the restaurant, bar, hospitality stuff we do. Um, I mean, that started by taking a white box and saying someone wants to do a reception desk. So, you know what we did? We just did the best reception desk we could do. And 
and people liked it. And after that, it turned into, hey, we, we, we need some help on our facade or some signage. And we just did the best signage we could do. And so, you know, our criteria for a project was this, or can they, well, I guess, can they pay? That's one of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, so that was not even primary. The main thing was, is, are they interested in design? If they're interested in design, then count us in. So taking small projects, getting the most out of them that you can, being respectful of the client's budget, but getting as much out of it as you can was really just such a key uh, I don't know, attitude that just earned us better opportunities as we went. So as you can tell, as I guess maybe as I can tell as I'm talking about this out loud, mm -hmm. it's, it's really a, a quite a protracted story of you know, learning under someone else, eventually starting a firm, earning opportunities. So um, my story is not a uh, accumulate the most knowledge, jump right out of school and do an amazing house. Um, that's just, that's not my story. So mine might be more boring in, in a sense that it's just a very protracted process. It but and I, I say, couldn't be happier though. I, I love the way it's gone. I have no regrets. Uh, well, I have a few regrets, but I I'm, I'm thrilled with where we are and you know, I'm only sad that I don't have another uh, 50 years to do it. Well, don't say that, you know, you never know. <laughs> Maybe me personally, but okay. But um, yeah. Do you, do you mind talking about some of those regrets? Cause I, I think this is the most fascinating part of the, the podcast is hearing that initial grind of how, you came to be where you are now and, and talking, acknowledging some of the mistakes made along the way or things you would have done differently, because I don't think you can be who you are today without making mistakes. We all do it. We all make a ton of mistakes. Yeah, I think um, a couple of things. One, uh, being afraid to make mistakes um, for me personally, I think was um, was a mistake, if that makes any sense. Like mm -hmm. there was there was a fear of failure. Um I think the other thing is, is while I, I definitely made the right call by working for a, a, another super talented architect and learning so much from them, I think maybe five to 10 years probably would have been enough to allow me to gain the technical competence and social skills required to, to run a practice. Mm. So I do have some regrets that maybe I didn't leave a little sooner um, I say that, of course, respectful of the previous job, but I think there was, you know, I, I had four kids all under the age of six. So I, I was hesitant, you know, but there was also a, a point there that was like, man, if I don't do this now, I don't know if I'll ever be able to start my own practice. So I think I maybe a little, lacked a little self-confidence. Um, if um, I, I don't regret like not just starting a firm right out of school at all, but maybe five to 10 years working somewhere, gaining valuable experience probably was enough. So I probably missed five years of drawing department. Um, but, you know, things happen for a reason. Um, so I say that as a regret more as if I were offering advice and less as a man, did I mess up? Yeah, that that's a good, that's great advice. Very cool. So do you want to talk briefly about some of the favorite projects you've worked on with the drawing department or? Um, 
And we do I have the we do have an Instagram now. I should mention. So uh, if and if you do say anything, I don't know if you'd let us share a photo, but that'd be cool of some of your work on there. Yeah, I mean, they're, I'm happy to share anything. Um, I think that um, I think there's different projects that I like, of course, for different reasons. Um, I think probably it's probably true for everybody, but mm-hmm. um, it's really hard to say like that. There's a favorite. I definitely have a project that's under construction now that's special to me um, that I, I can't share yet because it's um, okay. it's not it's incomplete. But um, I think it's been a, a project that I think it, I think it'll be um, a, a really exciting and impressive. Uh, project when it's done it's residential and it's here in cincinnati so hopefully we'll be able to share that (laughs) back on the podcast sometime soon and you can talk about it if you like oh yeah i'm I'm super excited about the project but just out of respect for the fact that it's under construction i'll I'll leave that one i probably shouldn't have brought it up but oh no it's um, all good well you just get people excited next time they see rob on see your name on the they'll be like oh he's here to talk about that cool project we can talk about the cool project at that point right right um yeah we'll have to do uh yeah i'll have to provide some good uh, photographs for that one. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, you know, I think for, for me, when I talk about favorite projects, I maybe instead of talking about a specific project, um, although I think I can, um, I, I'd rather talk about like what makes a project here that I'm really excited about. Yeah, and, that's that's a better question. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, I think it, for, for us, like I, I said earlier, like design is what we're most interested in, uh, having design opportunity. And for our firm, that um, that can be like a deck. If someone comes to us and says, Hey, I want to do a deck in the backyard. And, and if they're truly interested in design, then count us in. Like, I don't care what the, the budget is. We'll, we'll do the best deck we can um, because they value what is most important to us, which is design. Um, and so some of my favorite projects basically are the ones where the diagram or the idea is still clear when you see the execution so it will, you know, there, there's no excuse, at least in my mind, not to have a project that can be executed with excellence and a project that um, where the diagramming or the idea of the building or the party, whatever word you want to pick is still evident um, or that there's enough material there to, to make you think um, or to make you question how decisions were made. And so I, I love it when I see a project that's uh, been completed, that has been completed, where I can go back and look at some of those initial diagrams and say, wow, the, the idea stayed intact. And there was nothing that was going to get in the way of that idea, whether it was, uh, I don't know, maybe someone has different taste or maybe even bad taste or the budget wasn't sufficient or there's a, a million excuses why projects don't turn out the way we want them to turn out. And look, we, we have those too. Like, I don't want to make it sound like every project is like this amazing execution. There's a lot of reasons why a project can take a turn on somebody. <clears throat> but what I'm really excited about is when I can work on a project from beginning to end and you've been able to bring your team and your client with you um, and they're on board. They, they have a clear idea of what the vision is and why we wouldn't make choice X, Y, or Z because it would be in conflict with the main idea. So I've been fortunate to work on those kinds of projects, and I've been trying my best for 15 years to distill that kind of thinking about a project. 
So to me, the best architecture is rooted in ideas. Um, and, and I think that's different than just a party, for example. So when people talk about, like, I'm less interested in architecture personally that is about, let's say, like geometry. Like geometry is a real thing, mm-hmm. but I view geometry as a tool to explore ideas, but it's not the idea itself. Um, but that's just a, per- that's a personal belief. Um, I also tend to not like buildings as much that are um, sort of about themselves where they become like, I don't know, maybe the form or the mass or there's something really, I don't know, zooty or exciting or dynamic about a building, but it's not rooted in the site or how it's made or construction. So um, this is a very long answer to say that I'm most excited about projects that are rooted in the site and materiality and and ideas. No, I love that. I think that's so cool too. And if you go to the drawing department website, which I'll put that link in the uh, podcast description, but I mean, everything you said seems to fit so much with the work on your website. So I think that's so cool. And especially, you know, as a student or young professional, you're always looking for inspiration and to hear kind of what's the behind the scene of how this building became to be rather than just looking at the final. I think that's really important. So thank you. That's very cool. Well, I, I've always felt that the the processes and sort of the, the generative uh, material from which architecture grows from is should be interesting enough on its own without the actual architecture. Now, ultimately, I am interested in architecture, a built thing, and that that's always my goal. There's nothing that is more dissatisfying than paper architecture to me. Um, but um, we've been fortunate enough to have a majority of the projects you know, seen through to the end to varying degrees of success. But um, I, I hope, I really hope that when you look at one of our projects or maybe even better when you experience one of the projects that, that you do get a sense of, you know, why decisions were made or how decisions were made. And it's not like a one line, not like a one line joke, like that mm-hmm. once you show up, you've kind of seen it and you've experienced it and now it's over. Maybe the second time you go, you notice something different and it begins to become a more nuanced uh, uh, narrative, I think, that um, has richness and depth to it. Um, so I just tend to, to like those kinds of projects, just like good literature, right? Like we just, I tend to like things that unfold over time or good movie making. Like it just, it takes time and maybe you have to even watch it the second or third time to really get the depth of what the director was after. Um, to me, good architecture looks like that. That's very cool. Very cool. So um, do you mind if I ask if in, in your mind, the, where do you see your firm going in the coming years? Do you have any goals for it or just kind of let it grow naturally type of thing? Uh, well, I, I, I mean, in case it wasn't evident, I do tend to take a more organic approach to things. Mm-hmm. But um, I do have goals. And I think that the, the goals have more to do with what I would call like our sphere of influence. I would love to see that grow. And well, so what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it, I'm not sure, um, but I think it means doing better work, mm-hmm. always trying to improve and just do work that is uh, influential and important and beyond Cincinnati, which we're, you know, we're doing now. But I would like to see us be um, – to have a bigger or maybe a better seat at the table 
And by that, I just mean having a, just a, a greater sphere of influence. And, and, and for me, that could mean, um, and, and generally I think of it in terms of just doing better projects, doing better work, but it also can mean, well, how do we contribute to this profession? You know, what kind of influence can we have on younger people? Uh, can drawing department have a long and, and stable life long after I'm done practicing? Mm. These, these are the things that are important to me as I, I want to see uh, a vibrant architectural community here. And I like to see drawing department be part of that for a long time. Yeah, that's so that's great. That's such a I I believe that'll happen from what I've observed so far by, by I far. think so too. I think it'll <laughs> happen. Um yeah, you know, I hope drawing department can play a role in that and uh, just be part of what is already just a super cool community of architects. Hmm, very cool. What are what do you think are some of the future trends of where architecture, I don't know, maybe in Cincinnati or is is headed? Well, um, if I just could be as blunt as possible, I just mm-hmm. I, I always just hate the word trends, period. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like the things that we're doing should be lasting and not be following trends or maybe even I don't, I'm not even really interested in trend setting. I want things that are so this I'm not attacking you. I just I, know, I feel it's... like that word is so irritating to me. I, I think it's probably because I get asked so many times about. What are the future trends in appliances or what are the future trends in flooring? I'm like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, it's <laughs> like these things are generally guided by taste. Like, what is the color of the year? Like, I, I could care less. I don't know. Um, so no, that's true. I want it's... things that are more timeless than things that are trendy. I, I do think like if I were speaking generically, I would say that like, don't be fooled. Don't do not be fooled into thinking that you can't do modern architecture in Cincinnati or that people aren't ready for it or people that don't want it. It's not true. I mean, there are plenty of people here that want it. Um, there's maybe a lot of younger people here who maybe don't have the means yet to afford it, but it, 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 it is desirable here. I think when I first started my practice, there was always this great fear of uh, and, and first of all, I'm not I'm not big into style either. I, I, I'm like people always ask me like, well, what what are you into? I mean, I'm into crafts. I'm into craft. Like I want mm-hmm. well built things, regardless of the style. I I can I can do beautiful colonial if that's what someone wants. Not my favorite, but we can do that. Um, but I think that for a long time it was like oh, Cincinnati is such a I don't know a backwards city that no one will ever embrace modern architecture here or it'll have to be in very small doses. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't believe that's true at all. I think there was times when people were afraid to do modern architecture here who were passionate about it, who liked it, but I'll never be able to sell it or it won't ever have value. And um, man, that is, that is, I think dead wrong. I think that there is uh, a massive outcry for modern home. And I don't, I'm not talking about just style, but I'm talking about, quality and materiality and construction techniques that are modern. And um, so, man, if you, if you think you're going to practice in Cincinnati, do not, do not fall for it. <laughs> That's all I can say is like, it's so easy to take the easy path here and just say, I'm going to do brick and double hung windows for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And like, man, just don't fall for it. Like if you're going to do that, do it with excellence. I have nothing against those things, but I just would say don't fall for the lie that that's all our city has to offer. 
And um, at the same time, I have a related regret. And I think that is, or fear, maybe not regret. I have a, I have a fear. And that is, is that when somebody does a mediocre traditional home uh, or maybe a builder home or something that is, um, I, I don't know, I want to sound too snooty about this, but you know, something less architectural. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all look at it, we look at it and go, that's a pretty average traditional home. But when you do a modern home and you do a bad job on it, man, it is like such a setback um, for modern architecture and for the community. So I don't know even what I'm trying to say other than if you are going to do something that's modern, um, man, make sure it's it's beautiful. Make sure you put your heart into it because people need to see examples of beautiful modern architecture. And we can go around the city and hopefully we'll find some good projects that we can all point to and that are modern, that we love. But man, they're when they're bad, they are bad. So I'm hoping that as there's a desire for more modern architecture, there's more architects willing to stand up, put their hand up and say, I can do this and really do it more than just trying to be a white cubist. Mm-hmm. Like put some thought into it. Think about what the materials really are. Like being modern doesn't mean that it's a material now. I think that's another like sort of misnomer, um, like sort of like this, that, that things that are modern. And I'm I'm not talking about international style. I'm talking about sort of modern ways of building that there are materials and there are still construction techniques that it's, it's not like a, a basswood or a foam core model that is a material and um, I don't know, built with sky hooks. I mean, I, it just should be, I don't know, a fully integrated solution that is fully modern. So I don't know. It, it, that's probably not the answer or maybe no. not a very direct answer to the question. But it's it's uh, it's what I think about when I think about like, that's a, where where are we trending to? A great point about when you screw up a modern building, it it it's bad. And you know the problem too, I think, is a lot of developers are like, hey, we want this to have this modern touch. And I think that, in, in my opinion at least, that's when things get really screwed up because you're trying to like put this modern looking detail on this average facade, and then it's this massive development and it just gets a little right. confusing <laughs> oh i think it gets super confusing and it, it would go back to the to, for me it goes back to the question of you know style versus substance like i i think we've seen uh, you know a thousand bad examples of when someone says i like this style substitute whatever word you want in there craftsman traditional mm-hmm. um modern international style and when it's just a style it pretty good chance that you're going to give some real mixed messages because you're not really thinking about how is it made? What are the materials? How do I want it to perform? Um, et cetera. You know, a whole bunch of technical stuff behind it. Or is there even an idea? Like, I, I think so much of our architecture now is, is devoid of any, any real idea. Um, it's just about a style. So to me, that is some scary territory, and that's where we get into really mixed messages, really confusing languages. I, I don't know how many projects I've been into where they want to do something, uh, finger quotes on the word contemporary, uh, oh, which man. is a scary word to me in itself. And so their idea is that it will have white cabinetry, and it's still going to have some bronze sconces. Like, it's just super irritating. But um, perhaps I'm delving you know, too yeah. down a rabbit hole here, but... <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, it's the the question of uh, or the idea that ideas can generate the architecture and and not just a, a style. That's great. That's great. Well, we're almost out of time here, so I will. Uh, do you have any other messages you want to share with the listeners before we sign off for today, or anything um, on your mind? Yeah, I guess maybe like one of the things that um, um, that I would just encourage people. Um, to any of your listeners is just to not to be afraid to fail, to, to try. Um, we, we've been able to work with um, you know, some of the best restaurant tours here in Cincinnati. And, and when we do, we get to work with the chefs, the chefs who are creatives and uh, super interesting people. And uh, I, I just remember specifically talking to somebody, uh, to one of these chefs, a, a really a, a very acclaimed chef you know certainly around the country if not around the world and him talking about making mac and cheese and so i'm thinking to myself first of all okay it's mac and cheese dude like you know what could be so special about it but hearing him talk about like his passion for mac and cheese and the eventual recipe um that ended up on the menu i think it was i i I probably won't have the number exactly right but it was like the 112th time he made it or something like that it was (laughs) it was well over 100 times he made it and i keep thinking to myself you know in any other field we would say man he he failed 111 times before he he came up with 112 um but we have to remember that his version of mac and cheese all 111 tries before he finally hit on the final solution we're not probably crappy mac and cheese. It was probably like 111 really good mac and cheeses, but he was still striving for something better. I want to practice that way. And I hope other people do too, where we're always reaching for more, trying to dig a little bit deeper, trying to find um, inspiration that's a little deeper. And man, I, I think if you can grab onto those things, you're just destined for success. Probably takes a little elbow grease too. Mm-hmm. But the combination of those things is a recipe for success. We have a little bit of a, a joke here in the office that um, probably is a little bit of a sad commentary, actually, more than a joke. But today, I think you can open up an architecture practice and do really well if you follow one rule, and that is do what you say you're going to do. Like, Because there are so many people right now who just don't do what they say they're going to do. And so... Man, that's so true. That is so true. I mean, how think think about every other service industry, you know, like (laughs) every other service industry. I mean, if they just do what they they say they're going to do, whether it's the cable company or I mean, they're you're hooked for life because they did what they said they were going to do. Why can't we have that mentality? That is such a good point. I love that. um, I I think the other thing that we we kind of joke about in our firm, too, is is learning the great lost art of listening. And so, um, for us, man, we're really trying hard, not perfect, but we're really trying hard to listen to our clients to really hear about what they want to get out of a project. That doesn't mean we don't steer. That doesn't mean we agree with everything, but man, I think architects over the years have, and and this might be more of a, you know, my age kind of thing, but I think architects over the years really earned a stereotype for being disengaged, egotistical, all about themselves, all about their ideas. Man, that is so unfortunate. Like, I think we 
can do so much better. So one of the things we did right from the very beginning when we started our firm was like, man, we're going to listen to people. And I think people are afraid. Architects are afraid to listen to people because they feel like maybe their ideas will be, I don't know, subjugated or they won't have freedom. And uh, I, I, from my experience, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, so, man, I would just encourage people to take the time to really listen to what the clients want. And by that, I don't, I don't mean just, hey, I, I like uh, a bathroom with two sinks or I want my restaurant to have 79 tables. I, I'm talking about really listening to them, learning who they are, what they're about. Man, you can do a lot of great projects with just some good listening. There it is. That's awesome, Rob. That's the recipe for success. I think so. I don't think it's too complicated. I really don't. Um, I I think uh, there are certainly a lot of people out there, uh, probably a lot of them listening right now, who've got a lot more skill than I do. Um, Man, I think uh, I would trade buckets and buckets of knowledge for just a thimble full of wisdom. And so I've been blessed to have a a thimble full of wisdom. Um, Not the smartest guy in the room, but... um, Man, I think just, uh, you know, pray for some blessings in your life. Take advantage of your opportunities. Listen, find some things you're passionate about, and you will be successful. I, I just feel, yeah, for, for just about anybody, 99% chance you're going to be successful with, with those things. That's fantastic. That's Well, Rob, thank you so much. This was Rob Bush, the founder of the drawing department. Um, I'll put their website in the podcast description. And I mean, I got so much out of this, Rob. Thank you so much. And I'm sure everybody else listening did. And we'll have to have you back on the podcast sometime again. Well, I'd love it. I I really enjoyed it. That was the the fastest phone conversation I've had in a while. So um, probably uh, should apologize for chattering on so long, but I I get (laughs) super excited about drawing department and architecture. And uh, I can't help myself. No, it's great. It's great. Well, thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll be signing off now and uh, hope to get the next episode out um, next Friday. So thanks, everybody. Bye.